Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to the balance. Welcome aboard. It is Saturday morning. It's not just any Saturday morning. It is the Saturday morning that you have chosen to listen to the balance live all across the United States. Welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations. And also, if you're just uh, happen to find us on the podcast, thank you for downloading the podcast. Hit subscribe so that you know that we're there every single time that we're there. And just by the way, just for the FYI, there is no editing or cutting for the podcast. The show is the podcast. My name is Tom Mark Wassell, Presidente. 917 is our digits. This is the week. This is it, guys. I know all of you guys are that are playing fantasy football. This is draft, draft, draft. I have three, three fantasy football drafts this week. Our balanced fantasy football draft is tomorrow. And our keeper uh, league uh, is on Monday. So that's right. Today is going to be mock draft day, our annual mock draft. Uh, super fan Adam Jebedin of the Cleveland Browns joins us. Of course, the Colts play the Browns uh, down at Lucas Oil Stadium, their first home uh, game since last December. So we'll see what happens. They're going to get into the Andrew Luck talk. Yes, there's some nervous Nellies out there, and some of us remain optimistic and pessimistic, so we'll get into that. Ed Kratz, beat rider from Philadelphia Eagles, joins us. Also, next weekend, college football is back. So standing by in our balanced green room is um, Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend. Our official IndyCar contributor, going to talk some IndyCar, but also going to stick around with us for our college football kickoff segment with Rick Riggin. I'm going to tell you what, this show is one show that I'll say it every week. You don't want to miss it because I'm going to tell you what, it's about to get good. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 
or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. See the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Porklet, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Marcusel Presidente. It is time to kick things off. Joining us right now is Matthew Embry, WSBT in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Also uh, loves to talk college football with us as well. Welcome aboard, Matthew. How are you? It's funny how things are getting so close to football season. I mean, we're just one week away from the start of high school football season. Notre Dame gets going on September the 2nd on Labor Day. So, uh, Lots to look forward to, but there's a lot of unanswered questions as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, one of the big uh, headlines of the week, and we certainly want to talk about this, uh, uh, Dale Jr., Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't heard, uh, plane crash landing there in Tennessee just outside of Bristol, uh, was uh, going out there to do coverage uh, for the Bristol race, which is tonight going to be a big race. We'll, we could we could touch on that a little bit, uh, but really an amazing, if you've not seen the video, I encourage you to go to either our social media, because we had it posted uh, Speedway Digest has it up there, Any, anywhere up there. But uh, obviously, we encourage you to go our, so, to our social media outlets and see the video of this uh, wreck, this cr- uh, crash, uh, on crash landing 
of Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt Jr., his wife, his one-year-old daughter, their Irish setter, and two pilots uh, escaped uh, by seconds uh, from, from death. Uh, Matthew, uh, go ahead. We're going to give you the chair here and tell us what you know about this crash. Well, obviously, uh, anytime you think of plague crash in NASCAR history, obviously you're concerned because uh, that's how we lost uh, Alan Kowicki in 93, a plane crash. We lost A.B. Allison, the same deal with the helicopter crash in 93. So uh, it's not a fun, fun thing to talk about. And uh, the good news is uh, we don't have another uh, Earnhardt tragedy like we had uh, several years ago. I think that's the biggest thing out of this is that we're not going into that thing for the second time around. And for some of the Earnhardt fans who are still getting over or haven't gotten over Dale Sr.'s passing, uh, this would have just made it a whole lot worse. So, amen, they were able to go through. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's going to be rattled for the next uh, few weeks or months after what happened. Yeah, absolutely, and he's going to be out of the booth uh, for this weekend's race. They, they're, they're thinking he'll be back in the booth in September, and, you know, a lot of people are Dale Jr. haters will be haters, and a lot of people thought that he capitalized and got his fame on his dad's name. Well, yeah, it got him in the door. Yeah, it got him notarization. Uh, he, obviously, he retired in 2017, one of the greatest uh, really, I mean, put him right up there with his dad, and he earned it. He he went out there and won races. I mean, he didn't get to win races. He didn't get to win the Daytona 500 just because his dad was, was Dale Sr. Uh, but I tell you what, over the years, I mean, you look at his career, you look at his life. He was a, a young – we'll say it. I mean, I think he, he would agree that he was, he was probably a little bit uh, – a wild child, if you will, a little wild on the track. But I've seen him mature over the years, and I guess that's one of the good things about being an old man is that I have seen him uh, go from being a young, uh, uh, whatever, uh, chest-thumping kid to being a very mature, professional broadcaster, father, husband. Uh, and, you know, yesterday's stories that are coming out of this is – you know, basically what happened was they pushed their one-year-old daughter out the door. She t- uh, she was trying to come back in. They pushed the dog out so the dog would take off. She went after the dog. Then the wife got out, and he forced the two pilots to get out first, and then they helped him get out. That just shows me some real character with Dale Jr. And say what you want about how he got to where he's at, it is what it is. He had opportunities given to him, and he took advantage of them just like any one of us would have. But I tell you what, what an amazing story that was. And you just never know what, again, just a normal routine landing just outside of Bristol, Tennessee, as they were getting ready to uh, uh, get ready for the coverage of Bristol this this weekend. Just an amazing uh, feat. Any final words on that before we move on uh, there, Matt? None on that, but I think you still look, uh, doesn't hide the fact that uh, if I look at the career of Dale Earnhardt Jr. as a driver, and I'd say an underachiever, if he had more interest in the other tracks besides Daytona and Talladega, he would have won championships. The problem is he just kept getting into this head that he needed to dominate Daytona and Talladega to be a champion. And unfortunately, those restrictive plate tracks only make up a tiny portion of the season. And if he had uh, taken the other tracks seriously, 
as opposed to just the restrictor plate tracks, his career record would have been way better than uh, not being able to win a championship. Yeah, and that goes kind of back to what we were talking about earlier. Obviously, Daytona would be an important uh, uh, place for him to to win at and an important place for him to achieve at, and I can understand why he would put that on his must-do uh, list. Let's move on forward. Of course, we've got the Indy 500. In, I mean, not Indy 500. We've got the Indy car uh, in um, uh, Pocono uh, this we- this weekend. And we'll talk to you about a story I brought to your attention. I know you, as you mentioned to me offline, that this is the first time that that season drivers have returned and, and, and race, race this race, but Dario Franchitti will race again for the first time in years, and and we'll talk about the race here, and you can get it, give us all the the ins and outs of this race. But I wonder, and a lot of a lot of people are wondering, and maybe it's because of the name. But Dario Franchitti is he testing the waters for a future run? I mean, maybe I don't know, don't think so. But certainly, uh, if he's going to maybe come back and maybe play in the same range as. Um, Elio Castanevas in the sports car. It doesn't really matter if he's back in IndyCar. If Dario Franchitti is coming back racing, that's big news. Yeah, but I think this is like a one-time thing. I mean, Goodwood is a place, you know, where the historics of the Hall of Famers come back. I think Jackie Stewart was racing here up until the last few years. Uh, Sir Sterling Moss ran here several times uh, after he had retired. So uh, I think this is just a one-time thing. I don't think it's... uh, aside that he's thinking about making a comeback or anything like that. Uh, I think this is just one of those, you know, have fun, you know, try to rekindle some of the magic just a little bit, uh, kind of like that Bristol Legends race is. Just hope uh, it doesn't end as uh, ugly as that one did when we had serious injuries involving uh, Larry Pierce and a few others uh, several years ago. But uh, good to see him back on the track, but I don't think this is a sign that he's coming back to an Indy 500 or an Indy car ride anytime soon. Let's get into the IndyCar race. Obviously, uh, uh, IndyCar's in Pocono. We've only got a few more races left, a handful of races. I mean, it is down to the wire. We're still looking at Joseph Newgarden being the champion as we as we roll into Pocono down there in the mountains of Pennsylvania. I think right now Joseph Newgarden needs to get results and outpoint Rossi in these next two oval races because if he does not outpoint him at Pocono or Gateway, I think it's advantage Rossi because I think the last two tracks, uh, Laguna Seca and also uh, the closer, Portland, another one as well, and then et cetera, I think those are tracks where Rossi's going to have the advantage. So I think if Newgarden does not get it done here, he certainly sets himself to possibly lose the championship to Alexander Rossi. And then for Simon Pagino, he's got to win this race, I think, this weekend and have a good result at Gateway to have any chance uh, to make up the deficit that he has. Beyond that, though, if other guys like Dixon are going to get involved, uh, they need some help and some bad results from Rossi and Newgarden uh, to get in there. But uh, I think right now, uh, if Alexander Rossi gets a result or is able to get some points gained on Newgarden, he's only 16 out uh, coming into this weekend, I think certainly it casts some doubt on whether or not Joseph Newgard can win his second title in three years. I think it creates a real possibility that Alexander Rossi will be a first-time uh, IndyCar Series champion. Well, look at Alexander Rossi, and, and I mean, 
he's no stranger to first timers. Remember, he was a rookie when he won the Indianapolis 500, and I, all eyes were on him. He just renewed a good contract with uh, Andretti. He stays with Andretti. There was rumors about him going to Penske. Let's not go to sleep on Alexander Rossi at all whatsoever. Now, talk to us a little bit about Alexander Rossi. I mean, this driver is the real deal. Is he really as good as we are watching, or are we just watching a driver mature? I think right now, still maturity process. I mean, he's still sometimes a little over aggressive than he should be at times. I think that gets him into trouble. But uh, I think he started to harness that a little bit more. I think uh, you saw that at Indy when, you know, it wasn't there. He held back, held second, and took that with instead of going after an aggressive, over-aggressive move and possibly taking himself and passing out the end. But I think ultimately, you look at the stairs right now, uh, the pressure right now is on Joseph Newgarden. I'd say even though, yes, he did win at Mid-Ohio, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, I think we're coming into a set of rounds here right at the end of the season where Rossi, I think, has the clear edge uh, if you go by uh, the aggressive and nature of places like Gateway. And uh, even though, yeah, Newgarden won there recently, uh, you still have to like Rossi's chances at Pocono and Portland and Laguna Seca. So, it's not a done deal yet, and uh, I think uh, certainly Joseph Newgard's going to have to face an onslaught uh, from Rossi uh, in order to secure this title. You know, uh, today is, uh, I mean, t- t- today is qualifications for the ABC uh, Supply 500 down at Pocono, uh, and then tomorrow's uh, the race. Talk with us, I mean, Pocono's a, a, a kind of a different uh, course, if you will. Uh, only just a couple courses are kind of that triangle if you will, it's not the tricky triangle. I think it's it's uh, it's called something different. But I could be. Am I right about that? Is that is that, is that in New York? But either which way, yeah. uh, talk with us about the uh, the Pocono track. I, both NASCAR and IndyCar race there. It's a popular track for both IndyCar and NASCAR fans. Talk with us about Pocono, Pennsylvania. Well, obviously, you know the two and a half mile layout, uh, three different lakes on the straightaways, three different quarter bankings. The only thing that I have a problem with, though, Tom, is that they're only allowing two hours of practice time for the cars. Uh, after the bad accident involving uh, Robert Wickens last year, you'd think they would take some things so the drivers could get more used to it and realize where how aggressive they can be and how aggressive they can't be. Uh, I just think that's a cause for trouble, and I think the early laps are going to be a little nervous for me. Uh, guys try to be too aggressive and not knowing the bounds. And uh, hopefully we don't have what happened to uh, Robert uh, last year happened to somebody else today. But we're coming up on Sunday. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've been following Robert Wickens for a while. And it was how good was it to see him out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? I follow him on Twitter, and he's got a, a an Instagram blog and a couple other blogs that I follow. And in his rehab, it's just really been coming along. And you know, it's it's so good that to see him. Uh, uh, come along, obviously his owner, uh, and I mean that in the owner in the in the contents of a of a uh, team ownership, not a human ownership. Just because we have to make sure that we make that clear these days, uh, the owner of his team uh, uh, with of Schmidt Motorsports obviously uh, suffered a horrific accident down in Orlando many years ago, and is a quadriplegic, and he's been a bit ability to own a team run a team, always at the track, and even drive a car is amazing. What kind of insight do you think that that's given to him with Robert Wickens to have that kind of a leadership going through what he's going through? 
Well, certainly it's an assistance because obviously it's a tough uh, battle for Sam. And I think, of course, I think that's going to be alleviated uh, now that McLaren is taking over a majority of the operations of the program uh, starting in 2020. I think that's uh, – you can only do it for so long. And I think Sam's starting to wear out, you know, because, I mean, he's got a strong mind, et cetera. But uh, having the lesser options and stuff like that's really starting – they can start to put the wear on him. I think that's part of the reason this merger happened with McLaren. Uh, so, you know, less of the burden is on him and him alone. But, uh, yeah, I think it certainly uh, provides a window of opportunity uh, for Robert. And uh, whether he comes back or not, uh, I think he certainly will be better from it. All right, let's kind of go through the, the standings here. Obviously, we talked about Joseph Newgarden and Alexander Rossi. We, we mentioned in passing uh, Simon Patajan. But Simon Patajan going on to Pocono, what are your thoughts with Penske there? If he has any chance to win the championship, he's got to win the race. I think that's the only option he's got because I just don't like his chances uh, when we get to places like uh, Portland and the closer at Laguna Seca. He's got to max out, I'd say, either at Pocono and or Gateway, St. Louis, wherever you want to call it, uh, to have any realistic chance of making up a deficit where he's uh, at least 60 points behind at this point. I think he's really going to have to try to find a way to win one, if not both of the oval, remaining oval races to have a chance. So his teammate, Will Power, uh, Pinsky, obviously I don't think it's in line for a championship, uh, but you always got to like to look at Will Power and where they're at. He's at. I think right now, for Will Power's confidence, he's got to get back in the winner's circle right now. I mean, he's on the verge of a winless season. I think no one saw that coming. And uh, I tell you, those things really uh, mess up with your head as far as your confidence levels. So I think he really needs to win one of these last four races uh, to get some confidence brewing back into his quarter. Uh, looking ahead to 2020. We're talking about the chipper again. Uh, for, for the, I, I think maybe not for the first time, obviously, clearly not for the first time because Scott Dixon is one of his drivers. But I think for the first time in a couple of years, we're talking about uh, Chip Canassi Racing having a successful season that teamed up with Scott Dixon and rookie uh, Felix Rosenthal. And, and then Scott Dixon also set to initiate testing of the new aero screen. So let's talk about Chet Canassi, Scott Dixon, the, the aero screen testing, and, of course, Felix Rosapex, which is a, a key component to the success of this team in 2019. Well, they are doing like the same browse formula one. They are applying the halo uh, for 2020. Uh, call it what you like, but I think uh, that's the way to go right now to protect head injuries. I think that's been alleviated greatly in formula one, and hopefully I'll transfer over to IndyCar without a problem, especially with, all the practice cars with cars get out of their side at Indy during practice because they're going so fast and the crash uh, speed drops are so instant. I think that's inevitable right there. So I had the halo. I think certainly it's going to be a help. Uh, the big thing I think looking ahead to 2020 for Ganassi is that they keep the driver continuity because uh, let's face it, even though, yeah, Dixon's won championships, he's gone through three different teammates uh, the last three years. So being able to keep Rosenquist around, I think certainly boosts his chances. It also certainly boosts Rosenquist's chances of more success uh, next year because uh, the transfer information certainly has to go back to square one every time you bring a new teammate into the mix. And uh, I think uh, that'll certainly help uh, the Ice Band's chances uh, keeping Rosenquist around for a second year uh, looking at the 2020. 
917-889-8516 is our digits. If you want to call in and talk IndyCar, we're going to be merging on into college football kickoff uh, with Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor, and Matthew's going to stick around for that here in just a few moments. And then in the second hour, it's all mock draft. It's myself, Adam Jividen, uh Super Browns fan, going to be breaking down tonight's game, obviously between the Colts and the Browns, uh, but also doing our mock draft and Ed Kratz beat Redder for the Philadelphia Eagles is going to help us break down and analyze that. And so is Rick Riggin. It's going to help us analyze the pick. It's our official mock draft uh, week here on the balance. Let's talk a little bit about Ryan Hunter Ray, the other Andretti driver there. Uh, that uh, we're, we're talking about all the uh, Andrettis except for Marco Andretti. I know we like to make jokes about that, but Ryan Hunter Ray, Andretti, uh, Motorsports, what are your thoughts there, uh, Matt? Looking ahead, I think the question, obviously, with Hunter Ray now that he is, you know, going to turn 38, 39 next year is how many years left in the tank does he have? Uh, as much as you like to see these guys hang in there, you don't want to see them uh, struggle to the point where Elio was coming apart and L- Tony TK's had his struggles. So you'd hate to see that happen to Ryan. But uh, I think he'll stay around for at least one more year, if not two, and uh, we'll see what happens beyond that. But, uh, it's tough seeing these guys uh, that have done so much success, you know, former series champions, former IndyCar champions, and they're, you know, back markers. So uh, let's just hope uh, that doesn't happen uh, to Hunter Ray and some of these other guys that are getting up there in age. Let's get in, uh, to another team here, another stable, if you will, and that's uh, uh, Ray Hall Letterman Racing. Uh, Ray Hall Letterman Legan Racing, my apologies, Graham Ray Hall, and uh, my favorite guy to, to – uh, mispronounce his name so i'm just going to go with his last name soto the only japanese driver in the field so you know who i'm talking about uh ray hall letterman rll what are your thoughts there uh matt i think looking at it 2020 the big thing is they they need to re-sign soto uh as much as i like grab ray hall i just don't think the future is with grab ray hall right now unless they are looking for another driver i mean there's several decent prospects at indy lights but i don't think any of them really are what they're looking for at this point so I think uh, the big thing on their deed list for 2020 is being able to re-side Jakuba Sato for next season. Let's go on, on down over to Errol Schmidt, my, uh, Peterson Motorsports. We talked a little bit about that team with Wickens, uh, but let's talk a little bit about, again, we know what the, what they've got coming up in 2020 with McLaren uh, and, and Honda and teaming up with that. One of my personal favorite drivers as, as, a, as just as a fan and not as a broadcaster or a media guy is James Hinchcliffe. I really like him. I enjoy talking with him. I've had a chance to get to know him over the years, and I've had a chance to know him since he's been in the Indy Light Series. So my personal favorite is, is James Hinchcliffe. What do we say about him? Well, obviously, Hitch is going to be part of the McLaren deal. That's already been confirmed. Uh, the question right now is, is Marcus Erickson going to stay in the U.S. or he's going to head back to Europe? Uh, the rumors continue to swirl that he is looking back to Europe and possibly getting back in the line for maybe a future F1 ride, if not a ride in sports cars. So, uh, question marks about that, and then uh, whether or not uh, they could get uh, Colton Herta or Oliver Askew as part of the McLaren connection. I think there's a lot of things uh, looking ahead to for McLaren, uh, Schmidt, Peterson going to the next season, and uh, who they're able to bring in to the fold. And obviously, they could bring in a Colton Herta. That certainly uh, sets their future uh, path as far as where they're going and what they're looking ahead to down the road the next several years. 
Well, you know, uh, we talked about Colton Herta. Colton Herta is the real deal. And, and, but, you know, we'll see what happens, though. But I, I guess I want to just uh, diverse here just a second for purposes of conversation, just because he is who he is. Fernando Alonso obviously separated ties with McLaren. McLaren decided to go their own separate ways as far as how, how they are uh, doing things moving forward in 2020 and moving away from uh, Formula One into IndyCar. Let me put on my tinfoil hat here. Is this a plan or a conspiracy? Uh, let's feed into the conspiracy theories that we're trying to get a full-time ride for Fernando Alonso. Not necessarily in 2020. Certainly, there's some uh, uh, bad blood between McLaren and Fernando Alonso, and for obvious reasons, that is. And we could discuss that on another show another time but Fernando Alonso and McLaren I mean McLaren coming to IndyCar are are we going to see a full-time ride for Fernando Alonso and IndyCar I'll just say is that what's going to happen I don't think so I think that it's Alonso's made it clear that the full-time ride in IndyCar was never his goal his goal was to run the Indy 500 which he could still do next year and I think Schmidt and Zach Brown have said they would provide an extra car for Alonzo if he is willing to return for Indy in 2020. But I just don't think, I think we've overblown it just a little bit. I don't think that it was ever a desire for Alonzo to be the full-time man. That's part of the reason why I think they had Scott Dixon possibly with the deal last year is because he was going to be the full-time man while Alonzo was going to run Indy. And I think you're going to see the same thing here with Colton Herta. Uh, running the full schedule, and then Alonzo maybe coming back for another shot at the Indy 500. But I don't think a full-time ride was ever in the interest or the desire range uh, for Fernando Alonzo. He's at the point of his career where I think he is picking and choosing his races. I think he wants to run, you know, the 24 hours of Daytona again, 24 hours of Le Mans, and those things. I don't think he is committed to a full-time ride in anything. Uh, I mean, he has it uh, committed to the super season in FIAWEC for this upcoming year, 2019-2020. So uh, that tells me I think he is just picking and choosing his events. I don't think the interest of being a full-time driver is in his plans uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, let's, uh, we're going to have to wrap up this segment and get into our college football kickoff as well as our uh, NFL uh, mock draft coming up. But I do want to bring on uh, with us, who, who's taking a few moments. I know you were up late last night, Steve, uh, with uh, the Xfinity race. I appreciate you taking some time. Obviously, we wanted to make sure we had you on today to talk about Dale Jr. Uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. We won't keep you long, Steve, because I know you were up really late. I appreciate you taking a few minutes to come and join us and we'll get into our college football kickoff but uh which i know that we'll probably talk about your your seminoles uh, as well but uh steve uh, good morning welcome to the balance i wish that we had some i mean it is positive news i don't mean like i don't mean like tragic that he died but uh, an incredible event with dale jr tell us what we know uh steve well at this point the only thing that we know is that um there was some type of uh, of failure on landing um, the NDS being FAA are uh, looking into this over the last day or so. They've taken and uh, they're tearing the the um, the wreckage down, and they're going to move it to Georgia, where they're going to conduct uh, more thorough testing on it. Um, so um, right now we're we're just you know we're just kind of in a holding pattern, other than the fact that 
you know, we do know that there's at least some kind of failure that have that that did occur. Um, you know, there was some kind of skepticism on the 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 type of plane that they were they flew in on, whether it was uh, had the ability to land on the particular airport that it did land on in Elizabethton um, uh, just two days ago. Uh, earlier, I believe it was earlier this year or late last year, they had extended the runway there uh, another about 500 to 750 feet, um, which would have given it the capacity to uh, land that type of airplane onto it. So, you know, um, it, they they don't think that the pilot or anybody went to an airport where they were thinking that they were not going to be able to make that that landing. So, um, you know, that that was a kind of a, a newer addition to that airport, which allowed some of these bigger planes and jets to uh, start landing there. Uh, but uh, but aside from that, Dale Jr., Amy, and everybody else uh, was able to get off the get off the plane. I'm sure some people have probably seen the the video out there where the the flame was becoming fully engulfed and people ran down uh, the runway as well as people that were local uh, on the road and uh, people that were around the airport went down there and helped them get off the airplane. So um, they're all safe. They were checked out and they've all went back home at this point and, and Dale will miss tonight's race at Bristol. You know, Bristol's a big race and, and I don't want to minimize this, but this is a, a big story. And, you know, I watching the the uh, press conferences, they basically said that it when it landed on the now this is a a uh, a, a private uh, airport, if you will. It's not a it's not a public airport, you know, like you see around you know whatever Atlanta, Indianapolis, pick your city. This is a private airport. It's very common around uh, cities where where small smaller jets can land. There is no uh, tower control, if you will. There, but they do rely on tower controls from other airports to give them some clearance. So uh, basically, what happened is it, it bounced, it hit, it bounced a couple times, and it went through a fence. They said, had that that fence wire caught a different way, we might be talking about something different. Uh, Rick Rickon is going to help us kick off a, a college football segment here. We're going to get to that here in just a second. But Rick, I appreciate your service. I know you are an Air Force veteran. What do you know about aircrafts and what we've seen and what, what's going on? As far, I'm not relying on you to be an expert, but you certainly know a little bit about planes with your time in the Air Force. Uh, what are your thoughts when you see something like this with Dale Jr.? Well, I, I'm interested to see what the investigation is going to turn up. And these investigations take a really long time. I mean, it's going to be months to possibly a year or so before we actually get some kind of an answer out of what happened. But I do know, being a jet engine mechanic, that 90, 95% of the time when something like this happens, it's a pilot error and not mechanical. But the way things are looking, this is a, on a landing. There could have been a, a landing gear malfunction. Something malfunctioned here. But uh, I, I just know working on these things, you know, with my time in the Air Force, that over 90% of the time it is something that's a, a pilot error. Uh, Matthew, we'll go back to you uh, real quickly, and then we'll get a, a, a preview at Bristol, and then we'll get into our college uh, uh, football uh, talk. But, uh, Matthew, what are your thoughts about when something like this happens? I, and we listened to what uh, Rick just said. It was pilot error. Humans are going to be humans. They're going to have errors. And I am based on the press conferences that I heard, they don't suspect that there's any, was any type of foul play. But uh, when if you're a pilot and you're carrying – 
uh, we'll just say precious cargo like Dale Jr., uh, his wife and daughter and dog, uh, you would think that maybe you would have the best of the best pilots doing that. Well, it's this stuff happens. Uh, the only thing, like I said earlier, is that, that everyone's okay. That's the only concern right now that's in my book right now at this point. And uh, there is no no serious uh, alterations in Junior's life where you know he suffered serious injury to possibly where he can't function or can't or can't walk or anything like that. So that's the good news we take from this uh, at this point. Uh, I don't think there's any need for criticism or anything like that. Uh, this early because like uh, Rick said uh, we really don't know at this point what really happened uh, as far as uh, what caused this incident well let's wrap it up and put a bow on it but before we do Steve I want to just uh, uh, borrow you for just a couple more seconds here I know that you are taking some time because you were uh, uh, up late last night with the Xfinity the race but uh, break down Bristol for us the gloves come off this is it uh this is the deal. If you guys want to see some uh, bumping and grinding, some racing, some cussing, some fighting, it's all going to happen at Bristol tonight. What are your thoughts, uh, Steve? Yes, give us a quick preview, and we'll let you go. Oh, I, I think it's just going to be our typical Bristol that we've seen in the past. Uh, we've we've already saw it started off uh, on Thursday night with the fight in the in, in the in the infield. There were some beating, banging, and crafting and freezing out there. Um, and, and I and I think we'll just continue that on straight on through tonight. Um, there's 500 laps. There's bound to be people that at the end of the night or at some point in those 500 laps where they're going to feel that they've just had enough and they're going to put somebody in the wall. They're going to get up on that bumper and they're going to turn them. And, and and I think that you know it's it's not necessarily we're always going to see it out of the front runners, but it may be a front runner like Kyle Busch that has a you know a knack for this place. And if he can't get around you, he's gonna he's gonna drive through you, under you, over you, in any way that he can get around you to to move you out of the way. And um, you know we have to look back just to Watkins going just a couple of weeks ago with Bob Wallace, Jimmy Johnson, uh, and others that were in that race. They were beating and banging. And you know Bristol is one of those perfect perfect places where you, you know you've been wronged over the last couple of weeks. They can come into Bristol. They can get up on you. They can turn you. They can put you into the wall. And it's just, you know, there's not that worry of, you know, a high-speed action where, you know, somebody may get injured or something like that. But, you know, it is a place that you can get some payback at. Uh, The bottom groove seems to be the predominant groove where it's going to continue to be the predominant groove all weekend long. I know SMI has gone in and cleaned up the top groove to try and um, get some of that old tire, some of the old dirt and uh, um, just uh, things that have been accumulating for years uh, to to try and get the rubber to um, go in a little bit more and try and move these drivers up a little bit more on the track. Drivers have um, complained about that, that they'd win and did work in the racetrack. But overall, we're going to continue to see the dominant groove be be on the bottom tonight for all 500 laps around Bristol. Well, we're going to see what happens. The action is a completely uh, – if you like action, if you like racing, if you like all the bump and grind, it's going to happen tonight at Bristol, Tennessee. Again, our thoughts and prayers go out to Dale Jr. Uh, Steve Wilson, we appreciate you joining us. Any quick outlook as we jump into our college football kickoff on your Florida Seminoles – Florida State Seminoles, sorry. 
Well, I hope some of these recruits that they've picked up over the summer and the last couple of weeks are going to be able to turn around the season. Otherwise, I think that if we see what we did last year, Willie Tigert is going to be in trouble at the end of this year. All right. Well, <laughs> Rick, we'll get your thoughts on that here in just a second. And, Steve, we appreciate you joining us, and thanks for uh, taking time to come on and talk with us about this really big story. And we're so glad that we're not talking about something different with one of the uh, one of the greatest uh, NASCAR drivers or stock car drivers, obviously uh, the, the son of the late and great uh, Dale uh, Sr., Dale Jr., in the this horrific uh, plane crash that could have been turned out a lot worse. I appreciate your time and uh, get some rest there, Steve. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thank you. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. Join us. Ch- check him out at SpeedwayDigest.com. Guys, it's time to kick off our uh, college football uh, year. Our official college football contributor, Rick Riggin, joins us. And Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend, is going to uh, take off his racing hat and put it on his college football hat. Going to talk some Notre Dame football. We'll kick that off just because we know that that's uh, dear to the heart of both the uh, of Matthew and uh, Matthew and Rick. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. It's time to start talking football tonight. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike... You know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything.
Nation of Pals, it's time to kick off our annual college football talk. We've been waiting for it. Of course, coming up in the next hour is our mock draft. Adam Dividend, super fan of the Cleveland Browns, is going to be joining us. Rick's going to stick around. And Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, is going to help us break down our picks uh, from both the collegiate and the pro NFL uh, level. But uh, let's start with you, Rick, because you are our official college football contributor. You're also a Notre Dame guru. Uh, Matthew Embry, also WSBTF at South Bend, uh, works for the flagship station that covers uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, so we'll start with you. And Matt, uh, Matt, I told Rick last week what you said, and he kind of agreed that uh, Notre Dame was highly overrated. Uh, Rick Reagan, kick us off. Yeah, I think overrated might be a little bit of a strong word, but I do think there might be overranked at this point, preseason going in. Uh, They just lost so much. And look at the away games this year. It's not even just the away games at Michigan, at Georgia. But, Matt, you can help me out on this. I think five or six of their toughest tests, the teams they're playing against, uh, have a a bye week before they play the Irish. And that's going to be tough on the Irish this year. Seven of them. Seven. Yeah, but it's even worse. Matthew, uh, you, you're you're right there in the in the thick of it all. You work for the flagship station uh, of the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish Radio Network. Uh, obviously, uh, you're in the mix. Your ears are to the ground there in South Bend. Tell us what you know. Well, it's obviously a funky start to the season. I mean, you have that uh, Labor Day Monday game against uh, Louisville at five o'clock on Monday. So, it'll be interesting to see how they get up for that one especially against the Louisville team that's trying to bounce back from a very crummy last season uh, at Cardinal Stadium. And uh, a lot of questions whether or not Bob Petrino will be staying, keeping his job after this year if they struggle again. But uh, you look at the schedule, uh, the Georgia game obviously stands out on the 21st of September. Um, you look further down the list, uh, Virginia, if Virginia continues their climb, that game, even though it's at Notre Dame Stadium, looks a bit scary. Uh, obviously, the matchup against USC. USC got embarrassed the last time they played Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium, so you know they want to be bounced back. And then, obviously, uh, the October 26th game against Michigan, uh, that's right in the middle of Big Ten play for Michigan, but a big game for Notre Dame. Uh, if they somehow find a way to get to that game undefeated, uh, that could be the game that could determine uh, whether they are a truly a strong candidate uh, and a deserving candidate to be considered for possibly getting to you know, uh, the college football playoff again. But uh, first things first, got to find a way to win in Athens, and I still think that's going to be uh, too much to ask, especially with all they lost on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you still got Romeo Aquara on the defensive line, but you still have questions, you know, in the linebacker position and then in the secondary. And then uh, the question, I think uh, you talk about the loss of Cole Komet to tight end due to injury. Uh, he could be gone for the entire season. That does not look good. I mean, you got a decent uh, guy in block, Brock Wright, but uh, you don't have the blocking uh, force at tight end that you would have if you had Cole Komet. And then you also have, of course, uh, Chase Claypool coming off from ins- injury and uh, then Tony Jones at running back. But I think the big thing right now is I think the number two wide receiver, who is it going to be? If it's going to be, you know, a Chris Fink or one of the other young guns that they've got from one of these recruited classes, uh, I think a, a second and a third wide receiving option needs to emerge, especially if uh, Chase Claypool still needs time to recover from that serious injury he suffered at the end of last year. 
Rick Rickin, uh, official college football contributor. Rick, you're hearing what he said a little bit about Notre Dame, but also more than anything, I want to let's get this uh, uh, season kicked off. Obviously, we got a lot of teams to talk about. Can't talk about them all, uh, but when you look at the top ten, uh, the top ten rankings, obviously we want to Notre Dame. I don't think it's one of those at the moment, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll get into some of these other Big Ten teams and some of the other teams here in just a moment just to kind of get a, a look at a look and a, a, a feel, if you will. But uh, we got Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, Michigan, Florida. I'm sorry, Notre Dame is in the top ten. Notre Dame and Texas in the top ten. What uh, what say you, sir, Rick? Well, unfortunately, this year and just college football has become a little boring because I mean, even though it's my favorite sport, it's the most wonderful time of the year this year. But I, I and Matt, you might be the same way. It, it, you get really tired of talking about Clemson and Alabama, and I think it's just going to be more of the same this year because. Everybody else in the top ten has all these question marks where uh, uh, Clemson and Alabama do not. Everybody's got a new quarterback or a brand-new head coach or lost so much from last year, but Clemson and Alabama, just uh, they, they just refuel every year, and I, I think it's going to be more of the same. I think we're going to have a, what, a part five Clemson-Alabama this year. Matthew, top ten, what are your thoughts? I think of the teams that are in that – first five of the coaches uh, preseason rankings right now I think the teams that are the most questionable is Oklahoma and Ohio State Oklahoma I think uh, there's still some holes they need to fill and I think the Big 12 will be much more competitive this year which I think could be a detriment to them and uh, then the question is uh, and obviously with Oklahoma no Kyler Murray so you got to see who's going to be the gunslinger at uh, the quarterback spot and then, uh, obviously, with Ohio State, uh, new quarterback coming in there, transfer from Georgia, and then uh, new philosophy potentially with uh, the new head coach there replacing Urban Byers. So, uh, by no means is a guarantee, but I think you look at uh, the situations, I think it's going to be an SEC domination. SEC domination. Uh, we talk about Alabama. We talk about Georgia, LSU, Florida. Um, you look. Texas A&M could be a factor. Auburn could be a factor. And uh, I think the big question in my mind is, uh, can Kentucky stay competitive after a very strong season last year where they got all the way to the Capital One Bowl in Orlando? Can they back it up with another strong season in a very tough conference? Uh, I think that's the big question mark uh, as far as the SEC. Because uh, beyond that, as much as I hate to say it, Rick, I think uh, the SEC uh, from top to bottom is, again, the strongest conference in college football. And, and Rick, he makes I, I, a very valid there. point. Go ahead, Rick. Go ahead, Rick. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to say I'm with you there. The uh, the question mark, you know, of course, Ryan Day at uh, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State, and then Jalen Hurts probably going to take over the spot in Oklahoma, you know. But I just don't see uh, Oklahoma getting three straight highs and winners at quarterback. Jalen Hurts is dynamic, but we, I, I just, I question his downfield passing. You know, some of his passing decisions, even though he's really a, a dynamic quarterback. Uh, then you look at Michigan, is Shea Patterson the right guy? They lost a lot, too. Uh, then you just go on down the list. There's question marks with everybody. Is Texas really back? Uh, we don't know. They looked good last year. They actually dominated Georgia. So Notre Dame is going to look at that blueprint, how they did in that bowl game, and see how they did that against Georgia. But there's just question marks with everybody except for the top two teams. 
We're talking with Rick Regan, our official college football contributor this year, and Matthew Embry uh, from the flagship station WSBT up in South Bend, uh, putting on his different hat. He's our official IndyCar contributor, but certainly plays a great role in talking college football with us. Let's let's start with the top 25. Let's go with Boise State, Rick. Uh, You know, things uh, come crashing down early. The Broncos lost to Florida uh, State. We mentioned them earlier uh, in the show with Steve to Jacksonville at the start of the season. Four-year uh, starting uh, quarterback Brett Ripon is gone, and the new guy will have five starters uh, back on the offensive line. Boise State, what say you? The Broncos. Yeah, that was actually Mark Rippon's like a, a nephew or, or something like that. You know, the, Mark Rippon, the uh, great Washington Redskins quarterback from, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years ago, something like that. Well, anyway, uh, Boise State has the same problem every year. They get to uh, – they're a good team. They get invited to play against some of these uh, top-tier schools, and that's where they run into the problem. It's not Boise State uh, of what we thought of them, you know, 10 years ago without Chris Peterson now being at Washington. So that's the problem with Boise State. They're just not on that level yet with the rest of the country, at least the top-tier programs. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about Northwestern. Don't doubt uh, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald. Uh, if the Wildcats can avoid just slow starts this season, Northwestern might be one of the uh, might be ready for another big season. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, Northwestern obviously getting into some Big Ten talk here. I love me some Big Ten, and everybody knows that I love the Big Ten and the IU, and that's the personal side of it. But Northwestern, I think they can have a good season this year, Matthew. Big game for them, I think, is uh, September 21st against Michigan State. Uh, sure, they have the opener against Stanford uh, in Palo Alto, but I think uh, if they can get through Michigan State and get to that undefeated, I think you certainly have a chance uh, with, you know, Ohio State at home, and then you look further down, no Michigan have to worry about. And beyond that, the only really dangerous team left, I would say, is either Iowa or maybe a long shot Purdue. But other than that, uh, you look at what they have. They can get through the Ohio State game. Uh, the sky's the limit, I'd say, for the Wildcats. But uh, that's still a big if because, obviously, they start uh, with a tough one in Palo Alto uh, on August the 31st. Rick Rickett rolling right along here in our college football kickoff. We want to just try to get through as much of this as we can because we've got a few more minutes till we jump into our, our official uh, NFL mock draft, the Missouri Tigers. Uh, Rick, Drew Locke won't be back this year, but the Clemson transfer uh, uh, Kelly Bryant won't have to do it all alone at quarterback. Uh, Larry uh, Roundtree also rushed for 1,216 yards. The schedule also sets them up to be a 7-0 and or an 8-0 start before going to Georgia on November 9th. Yeah, Missouri is one of those teams that uh, is actually a, a surprise every year, and you just don't think that they're going to really do a whole lot. And then next thing you turn around, they have eight wins. You know, they're one of these uh, teams maybe fit. They're not going to be able to hang with the uh, top-tier teams of the SEC, but I, I think definitely they're a middle-of-the-pack team, uh, definitely a team these top-tier teams don't want to play against, especially at the wrong time of the year where they was happy just to get a win against, you know, one of the uh, – tougher opponents that's going to ruin a season. So Missouri is one of those dangerous teams, I think, especially now with Kelly Bryant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Matthew, uh, going up in your neck of the woods there in Michigan State, uh, this team might be in the middle between those double-digit uh, c- compilers and just to get to get by bowl teams. But Michigan State Spartans, I, I, 
I, I would put I would lean more towards, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but that's the Michigan uh, team I would be paying attention to. I I still don't have a lot of faith in Jim Harbaugh in in, in Michigan, uh, but that's just me. I guess haters will be haters. Uh, Matthew, uh, Michigan State, what are your outlook this year? I agree with you on that. I think Michigan State is the better of the two. I think they're the ones that are going to be huddling that uh, Paul Bunyan trophy after their matchup with Michigan. Uh, I think there's, again, not any big-time flashy players, but there's a bunch of solid players on Michigan State squad, and that's something that Michigan doesn't have, in my opinion. I mean, Michigan, I think, will have enough to beat teams like Notre Dame, et cetera, but I think in the big games, when you come down to it, you know, the Ohio States, uh, et cetera, I just don't think they're going to have enough to get over the humps of those games and be able to be in the college football playoffs, if not uh, that Big Ten championship game. Rick, uh, let's talk a little bit about Virginia Tech. At the very least, the Hokies uh, should avoid embarrassing losses like uh, Old Dominion and the blowout defeats. Uh, quarterback Ryan Willis has a strong group of targets to work with this year. What are your thoughts with Virginia Tech Hokies? Yeah, I still see them uh, as a – you're right, they shouldn't lose to Old Dominion, and that was a shocker last year, right? But uh, yeah. I still see them as a team in a, a bit of a, a rebuilding phase. Uh, uh, Fuentes, their head coach, is a, is a really good head coach. Uh, they got embarrassed by Notre Dame last year. We kind of unplugged the amplifier to Metallica on them last year. So they're going to come into Notre Dame Stadium this year. Uh, I don't know if it's be such an embarrassing loss this year to Notre Dame, but they won't get past the Irish, I don't think. And uh, they should be an all-in-all a little better team this year, but another middle-of-the-pack ACC team. Finally, we don't have time to get through all of these uh, top 25 teams, but we'll uh, end it up before we go into the uh, the mock draft and the NFL talk and all of the fun stuff because it is football, and we got fantasy football drafts going on this weekend. Two of the balanced drafts happen this weekend, Sunday and Monday, if you're in the Keeper League on Monday, and then Sunday is our normal uh, balanced uh, fantasy team that we do every year. But let's go with you, Matthew. What are your thoughts about the the Cornhuskers of Nebraska? Nebraska, I think right now is, uh, you know, still a team that just can't quite break through the ceiling. I think once they do that, I think they could be a contender in the Big Ten. They just don't quite be able to get there. I mean, it's like those things. I mean, the good story that just can't quite get there. And uh, I think right now the other story in my mind is right now who's going to be the mid-major. I think there's still serious question marks whether UCF can hold their position uh, with the transfer Brandon Wimbush now at the helm. And uh, you look at the other, I think, mid-majors that could surprise. I think the question is, uh, is Army for real? Can they back up the big year they had last year? Uh, They almost had the win against Oklahoma and then – of course, uh, don't forget, they get a chance uh, to challenge Michigan at uh, the Big House coming up on September 7th. So if you're looking for potential upsets and uh, why I don't like Michigan's chances, uh, that game, they struggle to get they can have real problems. Absolutely. And real quickly, and we're getting ready to go into our mock draft. Matthew, I appreciate you joining us, but joining us also now is Adam Jevedin, Super Brown fan. Adam, uh, the Browns uh, take on the Colts tonight, but we are finishing up our college football segment. So let's get your thoughts on the Ohio State suckers. I mean, Husky, I mean, yeah, uh, Buckers. I mean, Buckeyes, Suckeyes. Just kidding. Go ahead. Uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes had to give you a little, a little uh, rip in there, uh, because, you know, I'm an IU guy in Big Ten, and you're an Ohio State guy, and haters will be haters. Go ahead, Adam. How are you, sir? 
I'm doing good. How are you, Tom? We're good. What are your thoughts on the Ohio State Buckeyes? Blah, 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 blah. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. I, I honestly, this is the first time in a long time. I don't really know what to expect. Uh, we, you know, we have a first-year head coach, Ryan Day, who had a three-game kind of tryout, so to speak, last year um, while Urban Meyer was serving suspension. We have an unknown at quarterback in Justin Fields. Here's what I do know. Ryan Day is an incredibly good quarterback's coach. We have an entirely new defensive staff, so they can't be a whole lot worse than they were last year, but they're probably in the Big Ten and maybe even nationally the biggest unknown in, in the college football landscape. I mean, no one really has a clue what to expect. Is the offense that we saw last year from Dwayne Haskins the offense that they're going to have this year? How good is Justin Fields? He's one of the highest-rated uh, high school quarterback recruits ever, was right behind him and Trevor Lawrence, who won the national title last year, is uh, coming out of high school. So, like, no one has a clue what to expect. This team could go 9-3. and three. This team could run the table. I have no idea. All I do know is that the Ohio State University has permanent residence in Jim Harbaugh's head, and so that no matter what happens when we play that team up north, we will beat <laughs> them into oblivion because that's what we do. <laughs> There you go. And if you run out of gas on the on the state line, you push your car back into Ohio so you don't have to get gas in Michigan. Rick Reagan, what are your thoughts on the Ohio State Buckeyes as we stand by waiting for Ed Kratz to join us? Uh, I actually think you might see something similar to the way Ohio State ran last year only because of the way uh, what type of quarterback Dwayne Haskins was. Big, huge arm, and I don't know the type passer that Justin Fields is. But Dwayne Haskins was not a running quarterback. He's a pocket passer, and Justin Fields is that exact same way. I think they're going to use some of that. It's going to look similar. They're going to use the uh, that same formula, that downfield passing attack with Justin Fields if, he's, if he has that type of arm. And, Tom, you better watch out using that the Ohio State stuff anymore because uh, they're trying to trademark <laughs> the, the word the, and you'll be forking over a couple of shekels if uh, you get caught using that too much. I, that's what I hear. We won't use the Ohio State Buckeyes. We'll just say Ohio State Buckeyes. Out of chicken in, the, the Colts take on the Browns. Uh, Baker Mayfield uh, and and team uh, will join us. But uh, I tell you what, we're going to get into our mock draft here because joining us now also, uh, without further ado, is Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, football maven dash. I Eagles. I'll get it right here before the end of the segment. I promise. Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, Tom. How you doing? Fantastic. Okay, so here's here's the plan. Adam and I are going to be the drafters, and Rick and Ed are going to be the analyzers. Uh, and this is our official <laughs> mock draft. But real quickly, uh, as, uh, training camp for the Colts is over with. Here's a big concern with, that we saw happen with Andrew Luck. This looks like this is going to be, you know, we talked about it, Ed. We said it's, it's okay if he's not throwing snapping balls now, but if we get into September and he's not snapping balls, it's time to worry. Should we be worried? Should I be optimistic or pessimistic with Andrew Luck? Well, I think it's officially time to worry. Uh, you know, it was peddled as a calf strain and, it just looked like they were being cautious, and now all of a sudden it's a high ankle sprain. There's there's pain down there, and uh, there's just kind of conflicting reports, which leads me to believe that they really even know uh, 
what it is, and, and that's a concern. And um, you know, I guess they're trying to learn how to manage the pain for Luck, but who, who knows? I mean, but I would be concerned for sure, especially given his injury history. You know, he's he's missed a lot of his career with an injury. So, uh, yeah, I think this is full red alert. Time to time to worry. All right, guys, let's get into our, our mock draft, and, and we're going to uh, let Adam have the first pick overall. Uh, Adam, it, it, as we go into our mock draft here, you feel free to draft whoever you want. Uh, tomorrow night is the official balance uh, 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 draft, and everybody on this call except for Ed Kratz is in the league, uh, but that's okay. I didn't mean to call him out or anything like that. <laughs> Adam, first pick overall. What say you, sir? Oh, man. You know, if I'm sitting number one overall, uh, I feel like I've got to get somebody that's going to be the, 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 the workforce of their offense. And this is kind of the first year in a long time from a running back perspective. You don't really know what to expect. You know, if you're already pulling out, Todd Gurley looks like a shell of himself after this season. So I, I think I'm going to take the guy that is going to carry his offense because he has a horrible quarterback situation, but an improved offensive line and Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants. Saquon Barkley of the New York Broccoli. Barkley. See, it just never stops. Once it sticks in my head, it's like Kaepernick, Ed and Rick, and, and those that have been around me for a while. I, I remember <laughs> when he was in college, we were talking job. about him at Penn State, I called him Broccoli. Saquon Barkley, we'll start with you, Rick. What are your thoughts? First overall pick. Well, first I would say, you know, it's a good thing Ed is not in our league because I don't know if I want to be in a fancy uh, league with somebody that carries around that much insider information. I mean, there's no way. I mean, that's like the Martha Stewart going to prison type stuff he might bring to the table and just get one over on everybody. So that's kind of a good thing, I guess. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to be in a league with Ed, but that guy's got a lot of info, man, we just won't have. But uh, I know. I say, uh, we might as well give him the trophy <laughs> and money as it, as it goes. So, uh, uh, Rick, I do like Saquon number one. Uh, I would just say uh, the my only issue is uh, the quarterback position for the Giants. I mean, how how often will uh, uh, he be put in the situations to uh, rack up a bunch of points here? Because uh, with Eli going downhill here fast, and then uh, looking at Daniel Jones uh, possibly making an appearance at some point this year, it's the quarterback position. And, and if you're not going to take quarterback number one, then you need to be looking who's uh, who's that quarterback to feed the ball to everybody else on the team when you when you make your first pick. So I'll just worry about the uh, the overall offense quarterback position, but who's going to feed the ball to take one. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? First overall pick, Stephon Barkley. <laughs> well, th- th- thanks, for that, thanks for that compliment. But, you know, too much information isn't right. always a good thing. You can have that analysis <laughs> or paralysis by analysis. So, this uh, is true. You know. But uh, but I like Bar- I, I Actually, I love Barkley. I think it's a really good pick, and um, it, you know I think Adam will be very pleased with Barkley. I think he's going to uh, probably challenge that 2,000 yard uh, total yards from scrimmage mark this year between running and passing. Uh, I think he'll surpass 2,000 yards, and he's going to score a ton of touchdowns too. I, he's the best running back in the league. He might be the best player in the league uh, outside of probably who Tom's going to take at number two. But I'll I'll let you get to that, Tom, and see if it's who I'm thinking of. 
I may not be exactly who you're thinking of. I'm trying to earn uh, brownie points with my good friend Rick Riggin here. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the uh, running back from Detroit, Keon Johnson. Uh, Johnson? Johnson? <laughs> Johnson. It, it, Johnson. That's right. Johnson. <laughs> carry on. Carry out. Which is a cool name carry for Carry on, back, Rick Riggin. <laughs> well, the, All right, uh, Rick, Rick, quickly. Uh, uh, Johnson, we get into the number, uh, the, the next pick with Adam. Go right ahead. Um, well, Adam be just, just look at the pick. history. Just look at the history for the uh, Lions running backs and getting the hundred yard rushers every year. I mean, yeah, Carry On did it last year a couple of times. So is he going to step it up? It, it could be a, a good pick because uh, they actually have a lot of weapons around Matt Stafford uh, this year. But we don't know about this new New England Patriots offense they're trying to work out up there in Detroit. So I, I don't know what to make of the offense. Uh, I do like the pick though. But I don't know if he's a, a running back one. Uh, Ed, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, carry on, Johnson. <laughs> well, here in Philadelphia, we like to boo, so I'm going to go boo on that pick. I, I think that's way too early to pick carry on, Johnson. I know, that being aggressive, I being thought. way aggressive. I, yeah, I mean, I know Rick's uh, probably smiling away over there, uh, but I, I didn't think you'd take him. Now, I think I'm just smiling at the decision-making of that pick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see who Adam takes. I, I know who I would take first, and he's still hanging out there. I think I know who you're talking about, too, but we're going to go ahead and go to Adam. Adam, uh, who's your next pick in the mock draft 2019? Well, I, so in this mock draft, are we doubling up on same position players, or is it how I would draft the team myself? You get to do whatever you want. You are the emperor right. of your team, sir. Alright, well, if we've got, if we're going to start two running backs, then uh, we could either go. I have. I'm, I'm placed with an option here. It's either play, take another running back, or since there's only two of us, I could take the best quarterback on the board, which is probably I think the route that I'm going to do for right now, and take the MVP of the league. Uh, there you go. The Kansas City That's Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. There you go. That's the one I was waiting on right there. I missed it. I'm so sorry. Go right ahead. What did you say again? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback, Kansas City Chiefs. You're going to draft a number. Uh, okay. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to say. I, I I personally wouldn't draft the quarterback this early because quarterback's going to be there a long time. But with Patrick Mahomes, I, I think it's worth an early pick. Uh, uh, Ed, what wh- what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's who I had in mind was Patrick Mahomes. I would definitely take Patrick Mahomes. That guy, you know, MVP of the league, uh, lots of touchdowns. He threw 50 touchdowns last year. Uh, that, to me, is the prize of, of the Roto football here is, is uh, Patrick Mahomes. Love that pick. Wow. I, I guess I'm the only one that says, hey, uh, I don't want I – don't, I don't, I'm just a big, not a big fan – of drafting quarterbacks early. I, I know that's that's uh, maybe a little bit old school of doing things. So I'm going to go ahead and go with my pick then because uh, he's still out there. I like the guy from Jacksonville, Leonard Fournette. Uh, uh, Rick, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think I'm going to have a easy pickings to tomorrow night in our draft if you're going to take carry on Johnson and Leonard Fournette over Patrick Mahomes and Saquon Barkley and all these other guys. All these players are going to be on the board, Tom, so I'm going to have an easy time tomorrow. Thank you. Hey, hey, Rick, you do know that I'm not actually picking when I'm picking tomorrow, right? Just so you know that. FYI. Ed, what are your-
Serious talk. Well, no, no, no. I'm just going off your strategy right now. I did that's your strategy. <laughs> then, hey. <laughs> Go ahead, man. Uh, yes. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna double up on my silly boo there, Tom. Boo. I think that's another boo. Bad thing. Uh, <laughs> Go, go ahead, uh, Adam. It's your pick, sir. Uh, so number three. So I've got Patrick Mahomes, at quarterback. I've got Saquon Barkley. I'm going to double down on NFC East running backs. And even though he's holding out now, he also has an incredibly good offensive line. And he did help us win a national championship at the Ohio State University. I'm taking Ezekiel Elliott running back, Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. Rick? Well, this reminds me of a couple of years ago when Le'Veon Bell held out, Tom, and you took Le'Veon Bell like number one or two. They didn't even play at all that year. Uh, I, I do think somehow he gets signed by uh, week one. Uh, I, just, I think that's a great pick. And then uh, when we get down the list here, start getting receivers. I got a guy in mind before I would take receivers, and I'll let you know when one of you guys pick him. All right, you let us know. Go, go right ahead, uh, Ed. What are your thoughts? Oh, hold on, Ed. Sorry, Ed. Can you hear us? Ed, uh, did yes, we lose you? Are you there, Ed? I got you now. Hello? I'm sorry. Can Go you ahead. Hear me? We can oh, hear you. Go no, ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I got disconnected earlier, so I don't. Uh, I'm, uh, and it could be on my end. I'm driving through some mountainous terrain here uh, in uh, central Pennsylvania, so I don't know what who, who did uh, who, who was taken after Fournette. Did Adam make his pick? Adam, uh, go ahead. Who was your pick again? Yeah, it was uh, Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott. Oh, Zeke. Yeah, Zeke. Yeah, I like Zeke. Is he going to play this year? I, I, I would think he will, but, uh, you know, reports are he's lost a little weight down to like 220, which probably is a good thing. But, uh, you know, who knows when he's going to come into camp and how much time he's going to need to kind of get, uh, get his body right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if he plays, terrific pick. But there is that question, uh, you know, how much will he play? I'm sure he'll come back, but how long will it take him to kind of round into uh, into football shape? So uh, a little concern maybe early on in the September games, but I think as the season goes on, uh, Zeke will be a fine pick for you there. And keep in mind, I, I try to be a little bit aggressive on my picks because I always like to try to get running backs, wide receivers first, go down to my my uh, then go to my uh, quarterbacks and and tight ends, and then of course, obviously, ending up with. Uh, uh, at the end with defenses and kickers. Uh, but certainly the strategy is, is your own, but I would pick strategy. Draft strategy is an important part of fantasy football. We'll start uh, with, with you, uh, Rick. How important is the draft strategy when you are drafting um, and putting your team together? One thing I look at, and it gets really difficult to do, and you can go cross-eyed over it, is look at everybody's, like, bye weeks. Because you don't want to get too many players on your team at one time that have the same bye week. I've ran into that uh, before, you know, where I'm having to, like, get guys off the waiver wire just to build a team because I didn't pay attention to bye weeks. So pay attention to bye weeks when you're doing your strategy. Man, that is highly important. That's probably the number one piece of advice I can give you. All right, it is my pick, and uh, all right, I'll start. I'll just start picking the uh, the uh, the no brainers. So I'm going to go with Christian McCaffrey with the Carolina Panthers, uh, my my uh, granddaughter's favorite player, my granddaughter's favorite team. Uh, so I might as well pick him up while he's still out there. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ed? Christian McCaffrey with the Carolina Panthers. 
I mean, he's a dual threat, right? He can run, he can catch, uh, kind of like Barkley. Uh, so, yeah, I like that pick. He's another guy that could, could challenge that 2,000 uh, yards line, from the line of scrimmage this year. Uh, I think it's a good pick. I won't boo you on this one, Tom. I've already been pretty hard on you with the first two, but, uh, <laughs> but I like this pick. <laughs> All right, Rick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, totally agree. If you're not going to pick up Saquon, get Christian McCaffrey. Tom, it's an excellent pick. All right, finally, finally won the grace over among the the football <laughs> gods there. Adam Jividan, what are your what's your next pick, sir? So I think I think this is when we were talking draft strategy. I think this is a big a big thing that that a lot of people need to consider. I think a lot of um, amateur uh, fantasy drafters the mistake that they make is they'll go, hey, I have two I have two Amateurs. running backs. Maybe I have a quarterback. Hey, dude, we, we're pros here. That's why we have this show, right? That's right. So, That's right. Uh, I think, I think some, of, some of the things that was a big mistake is that people will go, oh, hey, I'm set at the running back position without realizing there is a massive need for a third running back. So you, could, you can look number one receiver. You could look a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. You could look Julio Jones. You can look an Odell Beckham. Or you could go to third running back and completely lock down that position. And obviously this is a one-two draft, but – if this pick was coming in at about seven, eight in the first round, which is what it would actually most likely be, um, I think you've you got to look a couple different options. Um, I think you could go either Le'Veon Bell with the New York Jets, or you can also go um, Los Angeles Chargers running back Melvin Gordon. Um, Melvin Gordon is a little disgruntled from what we're hearing. He wants a new contract. He's not going to get it. Um, and Le'Veon Bell, I think, has a chip on his shoulder and something to play for. So in this scenario, I would lock down the running back position and take New York Jets running back Le'Veon Bell. All right, Rick. Uh, Jets uh, running back uh, Bell, which that seems kind of weird to say, but go ahead. Yeah, I think it's a solid pick to have a, a third running back. Uh, we just don't know what type of football shape he's really in. I'm assuming he's probably in excellent shape. And, uh, you know, what what the team's going to be like uh, in New York, but I'm sure he'll get fed a whole bunch. You know, he's a good third-round back, good goal-line guy, too, so he'll probably get you a lot of points just based off that. Ed Kratz, uh, Bell uh, to uh, Team Jividen. Yeah, man, I like that pick. Adam, Team Jividen, man, he's done his homework. I like Bell as a pick. I think that's a good, solid pick. You got the uh, second-year uh, quarterback in Darnold, who uh, I think will benefit greatly by having a running game, and they're going to give him the ball, uh, and they're going to throw it to him, too. Give Darnold some nice, easy throws, uh, and Bell can do both in and out of the backfield. He's got, I would presume, fresh legs after missing last year, so uh, much safer pick than Melvin Gordon because you just don't know uh, about Gordon. The report is that he's going to sit out. He's prepared to sit out uh, the year unless he gets a, a contract, so uh, I would kind of steer away from Melvin Gordon, even though he is a supreme talent, but uh, too big of a question mark. So that's a good pick. I like Bell. It's the official balance annual mock draft. We do this every year. Uh, the balance draft is Sunday night, and then the balance keeper draft is on Monday night. And, uh, again, all of us, but Ed, not trying to call him out, just horsing around. But, yeah, all of us are on, in, in that league. We've got – we got a lot of we got a full roster. We cannot accept any more. I appreciate those that wanted to play, but we had to shut it off at some point. So uh, you can no longer get into the balance draft. It, it booked up pretty quickly. So here's my thing. I, I like the AFC South. 
think it's getting stronger and stronger. I would like to make my next pick a Colt, but it's not going to happen. I'm going to go with Hawkins, DeAndre Hawkins uh, with the Houston Texans. I think he's pretty, pretty solid, and he's my first wide receiver that I'm picking up. So I'm going to go with uh, Hopkins, Andre Hopkins with the Houston Texans. Rick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, DeAndre like Hopkins. I'm sorry, I said Andre. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it, and with the Deshaun Watson at quarterback down there, he's a solid pickup to get you a good, a good amount of points every week. Uh, sometimes he goes overboard on the points. I just don't know what week it's going to be whenever the you know, Texas offense explodes on somebody, but he's going to be the guy right in the middle of it, man. I think that's a solid pick. Oh, two for two, man. I'm I'm on a roll. Ed Kraft, what are your thoughts? DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> with the Houston Texans. Uh Tom, as much as I'd like to give you the triple Philly boo for calling me out for not being in the <laughs> fantasy league, I I I gotta say it's a good pick. I mean, there, there's several receivers uh, that I would probably have ranked first, and he would be certainly in that tier. Uh, so that's a good solid pick. My concern with the Texans is their offensive line. You know, they're having all kinds of O line uh, issues down there. And, uh, you know, how much time is Deshaun Watson going to get to throw the ball? But you know, Hopkins always finds a way to pile up the yards. So that's a good pick. Adam Jibidani, the pick is yours, sir. Uh, first off, Ed, you know I always do my homework. So, I mean, <laughs> I always do it every week that we possibly can. Um, yeah. But I think, I think in this scenario, so I'm, I'm good at quarterback one. I've got running backs one, two, and three. Now's the point where you start looking, what are the best available pass catchers? Um, uh, so, with uh, Hopkins off the board, Um, who is, in my opinion, the number one receiver, primarily because there's not many other offensive weapons for that Texas football team. I then turn to a guy that has been uh, held back by subpar quarterback play, been held back because he's been the only legitimate receiver on this team for the bulk of his career, but now has a plethora of weapons on his team. My... Cleveland Browns' very own Odell Beckham Jr. I knew that was coming. I just didn't know when. (laughs) Rick Riggett, Odell Beckham Jr. goes to Team Jividen. Yeah, I like the pick. The only question I have is just all the other studs they have on that team and, you know, sharing the ball with everybody like Jarvis Landry and and all all them. So it's just going to come down to a – which one is going to be the premier uh, receiver? Who's going to be the, the playmaker? Who's going to be the stud? They're going to have to figure all that out and share the ball. But I do like the pick. Ed, what are your thoughts? Yeah. On Odell uh, Beckman Jr.? Well, I, hey, Adam, you're right, man. You haven't let me down with this homework thing yet. If I, if I was a school teacher, I'd give you an A. Uh, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I like what Rick said about the, you know, you don't know where the, uh, you know, who that number one guy will be. They do have a lot of weapons, but, you know, to me, Odell's the cream of the weapon crop there in Cleveland. And uh, before all is said and done, I think he's going to have a real nice year. Uh, I w- I'd be surprised if he didn't uh, have more than a thousand yards receiving and, you know, eight, eight to, you know, eight plus touchdowns. So that, that's a good pick. He would be another guy like DeAndre Hopkins that I have in a tier one in my receiver group. All right, uh, it's our balance annual mock draft. And, you know, I'm going to just go down a little bit just so that I got somebody in my depth. And I know he's uh, another Browns player. We're talking a lot about the Browns. 
I like Nick Chubb. I'm going to pick Nick Chubb in my next pick here in the mock draft, fantasy football draft. Uh, uh, Ed, I mean, uh, yeah, Ed, go ahead, and then we'll go with you, Rick. Yeah, I mean, I like Chubb. Again, a guy that is going to give Mayfield the run game. I have, you know, really came on strong his rookie year last year, and I expect him to take the next step. I don't know if, uh, if I would have taken him this high, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a solid pick. I don't have a problem with, with, with Chubb, and, uh, like I said, I think he'll take that next step, and I think he'll be a guy that Mayfield will hand the ball to more often than not in that backfield uh, that Cleveland has. Rick, what are your thoughts on my pick, Nick Chubb? I like Nick Chubb. Uh, I, I do agree with that. I think he got him too high. I think he's not at that level as high as you picked him just yet, but we don't know about the Browns' uh, offense. Uh, I, like I said, they got a ton of playmakers, so he's going to get a lot of yards. I would have went to Alvin Kamara in that in that spot right there, Tom. But uh, I like to pick. Uh, I just would have went up with a different guy. Just throw a name out there. <laughs> well, I'm trying to put some depth in my chart. Like I said, Ditch may not be my starter. We'll, we would see what happens. I, and I, we'll go ahead and turn this over to Adam. Adam, the Colts play the Browns uh, t- uh, tonight. Uh, certainly a, a dual practice. I offered you tickets. You kindly turned me down for a wedding, as you said that these things, this wedding, this marriage better work out. So, uh, my friend Melissa and her friend Michelle's going. I'm going to another draft party tonight. But I did offer you the tickets, just so you know. I I was right there for you, and I even told you to go up there to the practice because they're doing the dual practice, and you didn't want to take the nine kids that, that you were helping your wife babysit for. So, I did my part, bro. Go ahead. What are your thoughts about yeah, the game? Uh, you know, tonight's game, I, I, I think the Colts are going to be coming out uh, aggressive. I think they're going to have to start preparing for potential life without Andrew Luck in week one, which is a as – a, I love the Browns, but uh, my mom grew up – my mom's from Anderson, lived there her whole life. So I, I claim Colts – I claim dual citizenship with the Browns and the Colts. Um, but I, th- I think the thing that they have to be really careful of is we, we can't have any more injuries. So it'll be interesting to see how many, you know, how many plays on the snaps the ones get from Frank. Um, I think the Browns are going to try to come out and make another statement. You know, they were the they were the hot team of the off season, and then as the off season went on, everybody just kind of seemed to look for reasons why not to like them. Um, and I think that that has really galvanized the team. You got a lot of dudes playing with a chip on their shoulder, like Odell, um, who basically felt like the Giants said that he wasn't. Uh, he was a pariah on a cancer and they didn't want him on the team. He's looking to prove them wrong. Um, I think you've got a guy in head coach party kitchen that's trying to play football the right way as a former Alabama quarterback. Um, in, in Brown's practice all summer, we've heard kitchen say, we will be the most physical team on the field. We will be the most physical team on the field. They've played in pads from the day that they could almost every single practice. I think the Browns come out tonight try to set the tone as to physically who's going to uh, do well. And I think the Colts are really just going to be like, let's get through tonight and avoid injury because any more injuries to, to, to major players. And now the Colts could be looking like a lost season. So I, I think the Browns are going to come out and try to make a statement and the Colts are going to kind of have the foot halfway on the gas pedal just to be cautious. 
Yeah, I know a lot of season ticket holders with the Colts are a little worked up. Uh, Ed, let's let's uh, uh, campus broke across the NFL. Let's get your thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, the NFL across the board before we continue on with their mock draft. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Colts in this game today have to kind of be careful with Jacoby Brissett. They're in a they're in a tough spot. You know, you want to get him ready uh, to be you know to play that season opener. Should luck not be ready. Uh, but you don't want to do it in a game where he risks injury. Um, you know, you look in Philadelphia where they lost their second quarterback in as many games this past uh, weekend, you know, this past Thursday night when Cody Kessler uh, went out with a concussion and the week before it was Nate Sudfeld. So, um, you know, they were trying to get Kessler ready to maybe be that backup for Carson Wentz uh, for the first few weeks until Sudfeld's wrist heals and then Kessler went out and got a concussion. So, you really have to be careful in these preseason games. And, um, you know, again, I think I mentioned last week that I don't put a lot of stock into them. I think, and more and more teams are doing this, they're really not playing guys. You know, you look at the Rams who are going to Hawaii to play the Cowboys. You know, uh, Sean McVay is not taking 20 of, his, 20 of the players with him, and they're all his starters. So, you know, there's a philosophy where now teams are kind of using practices and, and training camp. You really can't do a whole lot of live hitting and stuff, but you can do a lot of buds and sessions, as Doug Peterson likes to call them. Uh, you can take a lot of reps, uh, ones versus ones, and that's kind of been the Eagles' approach uh, through this tra- uh, training camp is, is they get their kind of game work in during practice, uh, going a first team against first team uh, with a lot of reps for both of those sides. Um, and it's a little bit more controlled than a game would be. So, you know, the Eagles have the Baltimore Ravens coming to town Monday for joint practices, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, Carson Wentz is going to get a lot of more reps uh, in these two practices. I'm sure he won't play uh, in the third preseason game. So, you know, all these teams really have to be careful, in my opinion, of injuries. Uh, you know, Adam mentioned the Colts, and uh, you, that's, that's the number one thing. And even if you're Freddie Kitchens, you don't want to expose your starters uh, to too many reps. Uh, because so, so much can go wrong on one play. If a you know a second team offensive tackle misses a block and you know barrels in on your second string quarterback and knocks him out with an injury for you know the season or a couple weeks, I mean it, it's not ideal. And I, I just think the NFL needs to do something about the preseason. Four games is too many. Uh, the way teams are approaching them now, uh, nobody's playing their starters, and fans across the league are being forced to pay for tickets uh, to go watch other teams' backups players that aren't even going to make the roster. So uh, I, don't, I don't put a lot of stock in it. You just have to watch against injury. That's, that's my thing. All right, it's our official balance uh, NFL mock draft. Uh, the balance fantasy draft is uh, uh, tomorrow night and Monday night. Rick Riggin, college football contributor, uh, joins us as uh, breaks down our picks. Ed, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, joins us as well as Super Browns fan, Adam Jividen. I think it's your pick, Adam. Am I right on that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, Go right real ahead. quick, though, before I get to that pick, uh, Ed, the uh, Eagles, it looks like they just signed a new backup quarterback, Josh McCown, a good veteran uh, who's been everywhere um, and probably knows every offense that could possibly be instilled. Yeah, and that's a valid point <laughs> yeah, well, here, Ed. I know you guys were, were in a battle or had a quarterback dilemma for that number three quarterback. So, real quickly, uh, we, we breaking news there. Thanks for letting us know that. Adam, uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Ed, on that? Well, you know, the Eagles needed to sign somebody, and they needed to sign somebody that is comfortable knowing he probably isn't going to have a job in three weeks um, because 
they really only need somebody to get through these final two preseason games because all they really have right now is Clayton Thorson, the rookie fifth-round pick from Northwestern. And, you know, you can't – again, what if he gets hurt? Like I, I, Thursday night in Jacksonville uh, when they lost Tesla, they only had one other quarterback to, to play. Now, what if he got hurt? Uh, you know, Peterson wouldn't allude to who would have come in, but uh, it's obviously a problem. So the Eagles had to make a move at quarterback. It doesn't surprise me that they're uh, bringing in somebody who's probably comfortable knowing that, hey, I'm just here for two weeks and, uh, you know, I'm going to ride into the sunset. I'm going to make a few, you know, make a few dollars uh, and, and that'll be it. So if McCown's the guy, then, you know, I don't expect him to be on the roster uh, September 1st when they make the cut. All right, Adam, what's your pick, sir? Um, so I think I, uh, you know, we're sitting here. We've got quarterback, three running backs, Odell Beckham at receiver. I think we've got to, to bulk up that receiver room. Um, Hopkins is off the board. Odell is off the board. Um, I think the, the, the next guy you're looking at is, I don't understand what he's doing in the off season, and I don't know where his head's at. But at the end of the day, all he does is get yards and get touchdowns. I'm going to go with, with cryo feet himself, Antonio Brown. <laughs> well, we'll see. I knew somebody was going to, I knew I was, I, I tell you what, that's a good pick. And I know our, it's not my job to analyze your pick, but I knew that was going to happen sooner or later. One of us was going to pick him. I was just going to wonder how long we were going to hold out to, uh, to get him. Rick Rickett, what are your thoughts on the diva himself, Mr. A.B. Brown, uh, a star of hard knocks. Go right ahead. Well, normally I would love to pick, but right now I'm going to say I don't like it because you guys are overlooking probably the best receiver in the league, and that's Michael Thomas. I have no idea why. He's not off the board yet. But if I was chick- if I had the receiver on the board, picking number one, it would be Michael Thomas for me. Uh, over Rick, cryo feet, over Hopkins. Stop so stealing I'm just my thunder. You guys, You're yeah, not allowed to make my pick. Take Michael stop. Thomas. <laughs> that was who I had. I literally had her down here to circle the bat was going to be my next pick. But go ahead, uh, Rick. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt well, you. I, I, I'm going to tell you that that's an excellent pick. And I, I probably would have picked him a little higher than uh, that might have been my, my second pick maybe. You know, so – but, yeah, I, I only don't like the pick because it should say Michael Thomas. But other than that, I, I'm good. I think Derek Carr's <laughs> going to have a better year. And I, I think Antonio Brown's going to rack up a lot of yards and score some touchdowns. I think yeah, – I don't know how – if he's going to be lost a step because of this injury and everything else. But uh, I, I do like the pick. I just don't like it because I would have won Michael Thomas. Okay, well, everybody knows what my pick is going to be, Michael Thomas. So we're going to give Ed a, a double a double whammy here. Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas, what are your thoughts, Ed? Well, I, I love the nickname, Cryo Feet. I don't know if uh, Adam came up with that or if that, 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 that's trending or, or what's up there, but I love that nickname. and uh, I think I hope that sticks, cryo feet. Uh, but, yeah, and that's a good pick. Yeah, he's going to be a big part of the Raiders' offense, obviously. You know, he's a head case, but, you know, a lot of wide receivers in the NFL are some prima donnas and, you know, some head case to them. So, uh, you really can't base a pick on that. You base it on talent. Good pick. And Michael Thomas, Rick's right, probably the top receiver in my book as well. And uh, that's, a, that's a hearty, silly uh, cheer for you there, Tom, uh, Michael Thomas. I like that pick a lot. Okay, uh, Adam, it's your turn again, sir. Uh, Tom, I got to say, I love Mike Thomas. I love me some can't guard Mike. Uh, 
The only issue <laughs> I, I have like with it. Michael Thomas <laughs> is we have no idea if Drew Brees is going to keep up or if he hits a wall. All these older quarterbacks at some point are going to hit a wall like what we saw from Peyton in his last year. That's my only concern with Michael Thomas. Is what happens when Father Time catches up to Brees? What happens when Father Time catches up to Brady? It's going to happen. So with that being said, third receiver, he needs no introduction. Uh, from the University of Alabama, I can't stand to say that. From the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> it's Julio Jones. Julio Jones, Rick Riggin, the Atlanta Falcons. Go right ahead. Yep, I love that pick. And the other thing I'll say also, uh, just continue on what he's saying about Michael Thomas and Drew Brees, we just haven't seen any signs yet of Drew Brees slowing down. Uh, there's no reason to believe that he can't just keep up the pace that he's on. Uh, but I do love Julio Jones. That's a great pick. All right, Ed, what are your thoughts about Julio Jones, the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, tier one receiver in my book. Uh, good pick. Love Julio. Uh, I believe he got a new contract, so he's happy. I know Michael Thomas got a new contract, so he's he's real happy. Um, but yeah, I mean the father time thing with Breeze. You, know, you just keep waiting for it with all these guys. You know, Brady, Breeze, Aaron Rodgers, uh, even is creeping up there. And Eli Manning. You know, maybe father time caught him a few years ago, but uh, you know he's up there as well. But you know, I, I like that quarterback New Orleans has that they use as a receiver. Uh, I can't remember his name, uh, um, a real big guy, but I mean, I think he could, he's going to have a pretty good career if he ever needs to take over for Breeze, even if it's this year. Um, maybe somebody can help me with his name. I'm really drawing a blank here, but he's a, he's a guy they line up as a receiver sometimes or a runner, uh, bring him in to, to throw a pass or two during a game. Uh, but I, I like him. So if Breeze does show any signs of slowing down, I like who they have in the wings. All right, guys, I need a quarterback, and I usually wait a little bit longer to go ahead and get a quarterback, but I want to make sure that I got him. I'm a little nervous about this pick, but I'm just going to go with a gut feeling because I think he's going to have a great year. Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers, is my starting quarterback. Go ahead, Rick. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we just don't know about, you know, uh, new head coach, uh, Matt Matt LaFever, Matt LaFleur there in in Green Bay, so – you say his name like that, it's a lot more fun. That's just why I did that. But uh, <laughs> probably go open up that offense a, a little more there, there, there with the uh, with Lua. So uh, I think Aaron's primed to have a, a, a pretty good year. I don't know about a great year, but he should. I do like the pick. He should get you a lot of points this year, but I just don't know about the offense and how it's going to look just yet. Ed, what do you think about my quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay Packers? Well, great try. Yeah, yeah, great track record. Um, you know, is he so, showing signs of slowing down? I don't know. Is he uh, going to like to play in this Matt LaFleur offense? I, it, there's already talk about a little rift between the two of them. I mean, I, I don't know what to say it's about more fun that. Way. I, yeah, Matt LaFleur. Uh, I feel a little Canadian when I say it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good solid pick. I mean, uh Based on his track record, sure, I, I don't have any problem taking Aaron Rodgers. All right, guys. I also need a tight end. I'm trying to get my starting lineup before I go up to to uh, my, my backup. So the tight end that I really, really like, and I had him last year, uh, and um, I, I just think he's going to be good this year. So uh, hopefully Ed agrees with me on this. Zach Ertz, uh, Philadelphia Eagles tight end. 
Well, I, I agree for sure. I mean, he had 116 catches last year and uh, over 1,100 yards. And, you know, I think he's, I think he's probably the best tight end in football. Maybe Jason Kelsey you could put him ahead of Averts. It's certainly close uh, between the two of them. I, I'm not sure about the other guy in San Francisco. Uh, how that if he'll be able to duplicate what he did, Kittle. But I love Ertz. I think he's a great pick. I think the Eagles do have a lot of weapons for Carson Wentz. But, uh, you know, Wentz, when he was healthy last year, he really went to Ertz an awful lot. Uh, I think with the Eagles' ability to run the football this year uh, with Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, I think that that's going to open up uh, Ertz even more uh, for some underneath stuff. And I think that's going to be – you're going to see a heavy dose of Zach Ertz uh, in every single game that the Eagles play this year. It's our annual balance mock draft, and uh, we are Adam, me and Adam are the drafters, and our, our judges or analyzers, if you will, is Rick Riggin, our official college football contributor, Ed Kraft, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Adam Jividan, a super fan of the Cleveland Browns. You are on the clock, sir. So, back to the Michael Thomas question or statement, the, the running back slash quarterback slash wide receiver is Taysom Hill. But their back, their number two quarterback for the New Orleans Saints is actually, if he's recovered from injury, Teddy Bridgewater. Just a just a reminder for everybody that's out there listening, and they draft <laughs> Michael Thomas if Drew Brees gets injured. Um, so I think you went with the tight end spot, which makes a lot of sense. And there's really two guys at the top of the list. Um, one it was the aforementioned Zacherts, and the other one I think Ed mentioned himself was. Hey, don't use big I words. Aforementioned. <laughs> Uh, yeah, don't mention. Stated. <laughs> um, so Go ahead. I, I think I think the other the other guy the top two guys on the list is Ertz and Travis Kelsey. Um, and Travis Kelsey in this situation would be my pick. I would caution people when you're looking at drafting uh, players from the same team that bye week's going to hit you. So you need to make sure you do draft a quality backup at that position. Um, but in this situation, I would be taking Travis Kelsey. Rick, what are your thoughts? Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I love it. And, Tom, I, I, I like that you took uh, Ertz. I, I did like that pick. I didn't love it because I knew Adam, once he was on tight end, was going to take Kelsey, and I love that pick. And another thing about Ertz, I don't even know if he's the best athlete in his own house because Julie Ertz on the women's national team is a crazy athlete. She's crazy athletic. He might even be the, uh, the best athlete in his own house. So I, I, I love <laughs> I love Travis Kelsey at tight end. He's definitely the the number one tight end in the league. Ed Kratz, uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think I called him Jason Kelsey earlier, which of course is his brother that plays center for the Eagles. But yeah, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, sure. I like I said, I think him and Ertz are uh, two two best uh, tight ends in the league, and you know maybe George uh, Kittle's can be put in that group. I want to. I want to see Kittles what kind of season he has this year, though, to see if he can follow up on it. But, yeah, that's a great, great pickup, no question. Okay, so I'm building my, my, uh, my bench, if you will, and uh, my, my uh, bye weeks and uh, possible handcuffs for injuries. But I still like this Adam Theon with uh, the Minnesota Vikings. What are your thoughts, Rick? Yeah, if I was building a, a team, I had Adam Thielen on my team. My team would be called I Got a Thielen. <laughs> Just waiting for that one, wasn't you? Just waiting. Go right ahead. <laughs> Just that one zinger. I waited all week. Just, Just for that. 
Ed Kratz, what are your thoughts? You got a feeling? Yeah. I, well, I'm hooked on a feeling. Yeah, hooked on a feeling. Um, now that song's yeah. going through my mind. It'll be it'll be playing all day long. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I'm not going to do any karaoke, that's for sure, with that one. But um, yeah, I like the pick, no question. I mean, you know, he's a good target. Uh, you know, we'll see. Kirk Cousins. I, you know, I'm not a big Kirk Cousins guy, um, but certainly one of his favorite targets. So uh, yeah, that's that's a good pick. I, I would probably have him as a tier one guy also. Adam, I got it. All right, I won't sing it. Now I'm telling you, that song's going through my mind right now. Adam, you're up, sir. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if you're, again, you're looking at kind of going back to the wide receiver position, you need to have like a solid rotation of guys depending on who they're, who they're playing. I think there's a few guys available um, – there's one guy that I will never draft. I don't care if he's the best guy available. Um, I will never draft Tyree Hill. Um, I'm not going to get into why I won't draft him. I think he's a horrible human being, and I usually don't let <laughs> emotions influence there, yeah. me. But I'm not going to draft Tyree Hill. Um, I'll let you draft him if you want to. Um, but I think in this scenario, from a fourth receiver perspective, I'm going to I'm going to drop down into a name maybe a lot of people aren't aware of, but he's been so under the underutilized by um, Mike McCarthy offenses these last couple of years, even though he put up big numbers. I think he's primed for a monster year. And that is Devontae Adams, wide receiver, Green Bay Packers. That is a good pick. That is a good, solid pick. Rick Riggin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I like the pick, and I like Adam how he brought up guys that you just don't really uh, under the radar. You don't really talk about so much. There's two guys in Detroit, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Lions fan, but uh, Marvin Jones Jr. and, and then uh, Galladay are, are two like really good receivers. It's just that offense getting the ball to them because once they got the ball in their hands, that's yards after a catch. They could put up a lot of yards and score some touchdowns in a hurry. It's just getting the ball to them. But that's two guys uh, that are under the radar. Uh, just to continue on with Adam, and say I'm glad he brought that up, and I, I do like his pick. Ed, go go right ahead, Ed. Yeah, good, that's a good pick. Uh, I'm going to give my opinion on this, and I'm going to have to jump off, guys. But um, sure. Yeah, I like I, I like the pick. I think it's a it's a good pick. Uh, you know, there's a guy in Philadelphia that I'm seeing a lot of, and that's Deshaun Jackson. I really think. Uh, I might have taken him uh, in this spot. I think him and Carson went uh, just watching those two in practice have really developed a, a really amazing chemistry so quickly. Uh, they've been connecting on a lot of deep balls. And, of course, you know, Deshaun Jackson is the uh, all-time NFL leader in touchdowns over 60 yards. I think he's got 24 of them. So they're going to be a big play connection this year. And, uh, you know, I know Deshaun's had some injury uh, issues, but, you know, I think at 32 years old uh, – He's kind of matured to a point where he wants to leave a legacy. He wants to go out with a Super Bowl ring. Uh, and I think Sean Jackson is going to have a terrific year. I may have taken him over Devontae Adams before, uh, you know, before anyone else. So that's, that's it. I, I got to hop off. Good luck to you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, working people find yep. you working their masterpieces there, Ed. Yeah, uh, for now, footballmaven.io slash eagles or at kratz.com. Or, I mean, uh, on Twitter, at Kratzy, K-R-A-C-Z-E. You can find find me either spot. Now, when are you going to make the breaking news here on The Balance? September 1st. <laughs> All right.
We're going to hold right. you to that. <laughs> Have a good weekend. All right. All right, guys. See you. Be safe. See you. Bye. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, has uh, been teasing us for a couple weeks. We know he's got a different gig coming up. I, I, I kind of know what it is. I don't want to get into it, so we'll, we'll we'll just save that for another time. But September 1st, stick around for that big announcement from Ed Kratz. Uh, but still, going to be beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, uh, Adam, I want to get your thoughts on this. I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday when I read the story and, and just kind of looking at things for uh, show prep and doing things, uh, looking at the Colts and Browns game. I really like this feel-good story by a player with the Browns that probably a lot of people aren't familiar with. And if I wasn't doing show prep and, and looking deeper into the, the storylines, I probably would have missed it as well. Damon, Damon Shihini Kohishi, I cannot say his name, so I'll freely own that. This guy had no, talk about a guy down on your luck. He had no money. He had no leads. He wasn't invited to camp. He was he he actually played a little uh, Tom Fullerage, if you will. Uh, and in in his interview with the Browns, he he kind of uh, fabricated his uh, friendship with a, a friend of the Browns staff that got him a, a tryout. Uh, then he got invited to rookie camp. I tell you, at one point he had no place to stay, nothing. He he, he uh, bought a place, I believe, in a in a gym. Uh, just so he could have a place to stay. And now this guy is the star in the Browns camp. We saw him light up the place here in Indianapolis. Uh, certainly a star to watch in the preseason. And one would think he's going to get a, a roster spot. Talk with us a little bit about the guy with, with no lead, spent two years without playing, um, had no money, and, and one week until a, a, a tryout. So feel good story there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, uh, the guy you're referring to is Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. So he was one of yeah, the one. biggest uh, surprises of the camp. He runs a he runs a four three two forty. Um, he's crazy fast. Uh, he was actually like the uh, the division two or bowl subdivision, whatever they call it now. He was the uh, the leading kick returner in the country, and it's what he does, and it's what he does well. Um, also, as a wide receiver. Um, but yeah, he, he was sleeping in a planet fitness, um, outside of a planet fitness. Uh, he told the Brown staff, he knew Alonzo Highsmith, which is what allowed him to get into the practice, which he didn't know Alonzo Highsmith, but then outperformed everybody else at the rookie minicamp. Um, then took in the fourth quarter of the first game, took a, uh, a kickoff, uh, 86 yards to the house uh, and the entire team met him in the end zone. It was, it was really cool. And, and more than likely, he's probably going to be our starting kick returner. Um, I, I, there's nobody that's demonstrated in camp that they're better. And uh, that was a spot that was vacated with the Odell trade because that was uh, one of the roles that Jabril Peppers had. So we have a need for uh, a specialist and uh, he, he um, looks like he sees the role. And seize the moment, which is that's why we watch football. That's right, Bill. Good story, absolutely. Rick Riggin, and guys, we're going to kind of merge out of our our mock draft here, just so we could kind of wrap things up here. Appreciate Ed Kratz joining us, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and one of our analysts. Rick, uh, we could continue this draft, but let's just kind of just get some overall positional thoughts as as we go into a draft. And you look at your draft strategy. I usually try to start with the, the running backs, get those lined up, wide receivers. 
tight wide receivers, tight ends, depending on that, because in a lot of in a lot of ways, uh, they can play dual roles there. And then defense uh, kickers, obviously, to it, it, the last part of my draft. Uh, when you're looking at draft strategy, uh, Rick, what, are, what is the advice that you would give maybe to uh, amateur drafters, novice drafters, first-year drafters? Uh, what are your thoughts on how to get their strategy together for a draft? Yeah, other than look at the bye weeks, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, Tom, I am kind of with you the way, the way you do it. it, it you know, in the past, the quarterback position was kind of like uh, they got you a bunch of points. Maybe you took a quarterback first, but I am more uh, with the uh, backs receivers uh, taking them first. But when you have a guy like Mahomes out there, uh, you might as well just snag him up because he's looking to uh, increase his production from last year. If he does that, I mean, holy cow. So uh, with Mahomes out there, uh, maybe that's a guy you would look ahead of taking backs and receivers. But your backs and receivers are, are, are your goal-getters, man. You, you, they get you all the points. So I'd, I'm with you on that draft strategy. Uh, bye weeks, obviously, and then you need to build your bench. And also, we didn't get to it yet, but I know a lot of leagues do this. Some leagues don't, but you got to pick a, a, a good defense. Defense will get you some points. Uh, it might come down. You, you win just by a couple points in a week, and it could come down because of the defense got a uh, interception for a touchdown or something like that, you know, your defense special team. So you also want to just draft a defense. Uh, I don't know who the great defense is this year. I know the Texans are pretty solid about every year. Uh, they're always high on the board. But I'm with you, and I always pick kickers last. So I know kickers get points too, but the kickers always just get shoved down to the bottom of the list. Ain't nothing but a drunk kicker, right? <laughs> Adam Jimenez. Right. Uh, that was uh, that was Peyton Manning and um, oh, who was the kicker on that? Uh, Mike, the guy from Kick. Mike Vander. That's Mike Vander. Yeah, yeah. Who cares what a drunk kicker has to say, Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning was here in town uh, this week. Good to see him, and he was down in Evansville, down your way. Uh, Rick, uh, what do we know about Peyton Manning? Why was he in Evansville? I opened up a new children's hospital here, part of St. Mary's Hospital. Tom, I know you're from around here. You're familiar with St. Mary's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're opening That's a where new my son children's was born hospital. At, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. I was born at Welburn, out of all places. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is still there, but I think it's part of Deaconess now. But uh, yeah, new children's hospital. The Peyton Manning's. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it's called. Uh, children's hospital here, connected with St. Mary's. Adam Jivin, Super Browns fan, appreciate you joining us. What's your draft strategy when you're putting together your your draft in the real draft? I know you're part of the balance uh, fantasy football. You might be in other leagues. What's your strategy? You don't have to tip your hat too much because we do know that our draft does not happen too much. So you might want to just give us a high-level view of what your strategy is going into 2019 draft. Sure. You know, I, I think you do have to be really careful. Um uh, not over drafting guys. Never ever draft a quarterback in the first round um, unless you know that guy is going to be the MVP, and that's a really hard gamble to take. Uh, the, the the value between quarterback one and quarterback ten is so negligible that uh, the best thing to do is just I I recommend doubling down on running back and then get uh, a good quality receiver. Um, in deep leagues, you've got to, to make sure that the people that you're getting are getting the most value. And the running back position um, have good depth, not great depth. The quarterback position has great depth. 
because um, even bad quarterbacks can get a lot of fantasy points because they're throwing the ball a lot. A good example of that was Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles always finished top 10 in fantasy numbers because his teams were always behind. So don't overdraft a quarterback. I drafted a quarterback one in this or, or early in this situation because, again, because it's a guy like Patrick Mahomes, there's only a couple guys that you can do that early with. And in this situation, my quarter or my running back position was, was pretty well locked down. So I, I, I don't recommend taking a quarterback early. Never take a kicker early. Um, and, Tom, make sure you don't draft the wrong Gronkowski brother. I did that last year, too. That's funny. Way to throw it up in my face. You're off my team. Go. Get out of here. Get out of here. That was hilarious, though. I totally forgot about that. But you're all right. I dropped it like a hot potato as soon as you told me, too. I was like, why is he still out there? (laughs) Good stuff. Good memories. Thank you for reminding me there, uh, uh, Rick. uh, I mean, uh, there. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Rick. We'll start with you on this. Here's the thing. Draft is important. I mean, especially when you have a deep league like we do with the with the fantasy uh, balance fantasy. I mean, we are full to the max. So we're deep. So you have to get your your players in the draft. If you don't, you're now going to have to learn to figure out how to figure out a, a trade strategy. Now, a lot of people might say, oh, okay, well, uh, we remember last year, a couple of years, the, the, the other guy with Kansas City, uh, uh, Hunt or whatever, he Lit the world fire, and everybody was trying to trade for them. It turned out to be a good story with that, but a lot of times we you don't want to just say, "Oh, well, they've had some good games. I want to trade. I want to. I want to get that guy," and then he just falls off and cools off. When you're trying to figure out who to trade and what to trade for and what to trade with, trade is is a big a big strategy in fantasy football, and, and especially as you get later on in the season. And, and you get closer to that trade deadline as well. And most leagues have approvals by other owners that have to approve or not approve the trade. So what are your, your, your strategy, Rick, when you're going into the trade world? Well, I never really do many trades. But one thing I, I can't stand is the good teams, you know, the guys with the good teams that are probably playoff bound in the fantasy league was trying to start pulching all the good players off all the teams that are bad in the league. And that drives me insane. And I never really got involved with it too much. Uh, but you can kind of tell early on how it's going to go. Uh, you look at Derrick Henry last year, uh, <laughs> able to trade starting and what guys to start and what guys to bench. And I had him on my bench the entire time. And for some reason, I put him in the lineup in that game where he had like 200 yards rushing and four touchdowns, and that that got me a huge uh, a huge win. Uh, but your trade trade strategy kind of just falls in that that line. You kind of see early on how it's going with your players, and then see uh, who you got uh, with other teams who who bite on on a trade. Because, but I don't really have a good trade strategy. I never hardly ever do. I always just stick with my team, but. Kind of a bad answer I gave you all the way around. I I gave you like zero information to that whole answer. <laughs> right, that's great. You, you you gave us the perfect answer, Adam. Did you do you have a, a strategy for draft? Uh, for the for the trade market, I I think the easiest thing to do honestly is I I always try to uh to look at the trade market as it's usually acts of desperation. So I sometimes try to capitalize on somebody's big week 
um, by uh, of, of maybe a second tier player um, and look at what first tier players aren't doing as well um, and see if they'll make a trade out of desperation, knowing that that maybe a running back has an easier back half of the season and their front half of the season is really challenging. So they may offer me, for example, let's just say the Browns with Nick Chubb have a really tough first half of the season. The second half is much easier. Um, somebody offers me Nick Chubb for um, a, a, a second-tier receiver or a couple third-tier receivers, something like that. That would be a deal that I would look at. Otherwise, I don't I, – I think, yeah, usually – the people that are on the trade, the people that are actively using the trading block, it's because they didn't draft well. So my, my number one recommendation would be draft well, and then your trades will kind of sort themselves out. All right, guys, we got 90 seconds left, so let's wrap it up and put a bow on it. Final word, Rick Riggin, hurry up. Yeah, I will say that at the waiver wire is more, impar- more important than trades because injuries happen during the year, and teams will put in guys at a position to that you never heard of before, and they'll go off and have a huge game. You go look on the waiver wire, and nobody's even drafted them because nobody's heard of them. So look at your waiver wire. Look who's available every week and get in line on that waiver wire. That is more important to me than trades. Absolutely. All right, uh, Adam, uh, we got to go. Appreciate you joining us. Hopefully, uh, well, I won't say hopefully the Browns beat the Colts. They should not say that, but hopefully your Browns have a good season. We'll put, we'll word it that way. <laughs> that sounds good, Tom. I'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll talk with you soon. Rick Rick and our official college football contributor, helping us kick off college football and, and, and helping us analyze our NFL draft. Rick, where can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? At Twitter right now, at Riggin underscore Rick. And next Saturday, Tom, college football kicks off Miami versus Florida. I cannot wait. Next Saturday will be the first Saturday where there's no more football. I mean, whether there's football every, every Saturday. However, I just worded that weird. But there's football every weekend starting next Saturday. Real football, that's for sure. And we're going to have our, college, our, our official college football kickoff uh, is next week. So, Rick, has- <laughs> I pushed the wrong button there. Uh, have yourself a good weekend, sir. <laughs> we, well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll hope you have a good draft, catch you sir. next week. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll All see right, you. see you, buddy. Yeah. Rick Reagan, our official college football contributor. My name is Tom Marcus Al Presidente. Thank you for joining us today. If you're on the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe. And, and by the little, little stars there, rate us a five and write a review for us. We would greatly appreciate it. It's for sure. And – you know, we do this thing called The Balance every Saturday. Make sure you follow us on at T-Balance. This has been The Balance Annual Mock Draft. Thank you so much for joining us. You make it fun. This is why we do it. It's for you guys. We're out of here. We'll see you. Don't remember, don't trick or drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. This is...
Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.